guys, a couple quick announcements. Uh, first, just wanted to remind everybody that Zach and I have three new weekly blog posts. Uh, the first is a strategy post to accompany the episode. Uh, it's a really awesome post because I think it gives you know a new dimension to the hand. We're sort of testing thresholds on our assumptions. You know, questions like exactly how often does this player have to be bluffing to make the call profitable? And that's something we get into on the show, but we can get into a little bit more concretely in a, in these posts. Uh, also, there's a weekly long-form strategy post. Uh, last week's was a post by Zach uh, about how to get the most information possible from a hand. And my post this week is going to be about the key to improving your study habits and increasing your win rate. And finally, our friend John Metz just became a poker professional full-time, and he is documenting that transition in his life uh, in a series on our site. All that can be found at JustHandsPoker.com. The second announcement is a reminder about our event with Greg Raymer. We are looking to open a second day, uh, and so we have some new seats becoming available. For more information about that event, you can head to our site uh, and click on the Live Events tab, JustHandsPoker.com. All right, thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Zach. Hello, Jack. How are you doing on this fine afternoon? Doing well. Enjoying this tea. I am also enjoying this tea on this fine afternoon. And we have a hand from a listener, uh, which is awesome because we haven't done that in a while. Uh, So we're a little bit behind. But a quick reminder, you can always send us your hands. Our website is justhandspoker.com. And we have a form on our website that you can use to send us hands. And if that seems undesirable to you, you can always just email us at jack or zach at justhandspoker.com. You could also follow Brian's lead and send us an audio file. Uh, you can record that on the drive home from the casino, on a break when you're standing up from the table, even in the bathroom. We don't care. We just really, really love hands. So just send them our way. Seconded. All right, Zach, tell us about this one. No problem, Jack. I got it. So this hand took place at an underground card room. Stakes were $1, $2. And this is what uh, our listener told us about uh, everyone else who's playing in the hand. So this is a loose game with many limpers that will usually call a raise. Have played with most of the players many times. Villain is 40-year-old corporate businessman and competent player, not spewy at all. He is tighter than most of the other players and will not call raises as weekly as the rest of the table, but probably more weekly than optimal. He will play aggressively when he thinks he has the best hand. Have played with him six or seven times and have never seen him show a big bluff, although I'm sure he seabet bluffs the flop sometimes. About ten hands ago, he caught me in a big bluff on the turn and river and called me with pocket nines on a king high board. Hero is late 50s with tight image. Rarely enters pot without a raise, so this usually does not deter most of the table. Villain generally respects my preflop raises. Open parentheses, I think. Close parentheses. Uh, Alright, so basically... We have Villain as a tight player who probably plays pretty face-up. Don't really have to worry about getting bluffed, uh, other than maybe on the flop. Sounds good. And the rest of the table, uh, playing loose, also sounds good. Uh, sounds like a game that we'll likely be winning in. Sounds like a game where we'll probably have to play a somewhat tighter range since we're getting called, or we're going into a lot of pulse multi-way probably also a game where we can play uh, or we can make larger raises to reflect the strength of our range 
and exploit the mistakes of our opponent. We don't necessarily have information yet. Maybe we'll get it later in the hand about uh, how deep this game plays, but you know that'll also have something to do with our default strategy. Yeah, and the one thing I would say here is, so the listener wrote, Hero is late 50s with tight image. Um, right after he talked about how he was caught in a big bluff on the turn in the river. Uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of, I think it's really good to be self-aware of what your image is. And I think it's really rare that if you just get caught in a big bluff on the turn in the river, that you're still going to have a tight image. I think generally people will probably think that you have a much more kind of loose and bluffy image than you actually do, even if you are rarely bluffing. Uh, so, yeah, I would just kind of keep that in mind when kind of going to this hand. And I think that's kind of going to be our default assumption when we talk about the hand. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Zach. And it's it's something to consider. Like, you know, in most of these games, I wouldn't say that my strategy generally involves over-bluffing. It definitely is some points in the hand or, or some situations I'm going to be over-bluffing. But normally I'll be semi-bluffing and then, you know, going really heavy for value. It's always funny to me, though, when you turn over sort of a clear, like, you know, this this is always going to be like a three-street semi-bluff, and people act like you did something just totally ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, it really as soon as you show down some sort of bluff, your image will totally change. And it's really disproportionate to what it should be. Anyway, so yeah, Zach, good point. So our effective stacks, our villain has 600, uh, about 300 of it from Hero's Field Bluff. Hero has 400, and the other limpers are in the $100 to $200 range. So our main villain limps an under-the-gun plus one. Two other limpers to Hero in the cutoff, uh, who holds the king-queen of diamonds. And Hero raises to 15, folds to the main villain who calls, and one of the limpers called. Um, so about $50 in the pot. Um, Jack, what do you think of this uh, this race size? We got uh, three $2 limps, and we have king-queen of diamonds in the cutoff. Uh, yeah, I think 15 is appropriate. It's probably on the lower end of you know what I would be doing in these kinds of games that play this loose. Uh, so if we think and we have three limpers, so that's six, so that sort of means our default raise size is nine here. Uh, and I think that's that's probably right. I'm probably opening to like 10, uh, but I don't think that we necessarily need to account to 16. I think 15 or 20 are both solid here. Uh, given your depth with the villain or the main villain in the hand, it might make sense to make it 20 if you think that... But, but truthfully... Uh, most of the players who are likely to continue in this pot with you uh, are the ones who have shorter stacks, you know, since we've said that our main villain is tight. So I think this is probably the right raise size. Yeah, I think in this spot I'm I'm probably making at least 20, um, you know, assuming I was the hero and just show down this big failed bluff. In-game... Um, like, if I was playing this game, I'm guessing I would probably have an image where I would be going 20 on the low end and, you know, kind of high 20s, 30 on the high end. Uh, but, yeah, just it really depends. Without more information, it's kind of hard to tell. But I think it's it's fair to say that uh, it's likely that 15 is a little bit low, given how loose everyone is playing and how call-happy they are. So we see a flop, and it's the King of Hearts 
Queen of Hearts, Jack of Diamonds. Um, so Hero is holding the King Queen of Diamonds. Uh, has top two on a draw heavy board with a backdoor flush draw. The villain and the limper check. And Hero bets 30. So I think this is a good hand to value bet. Uh, it's not our best value bet because we're going to have sets. And we also block some of the hands that we would like to call. But I think that, you know, there's enough worse hands to call and draws that we have good enough equity against that we would like uh, to bet into those draws that uh, we should be betting. I think I would prefer a somewhat larger sizing just since it's such a coordinated board that by betting here, you're already representing sort of a strong polarized range. Uh, So it just makes sense. You know, people are only continuing with fairly strong hands. Uh, So since they're only going to be continuing with those strong hands anyway, we should charge them to do so appropriately. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, pot's 50, here about 30. It's not that much more, but I think betting betting like 40, um, 45 is probably what I would do here. So in-game, the hero bet 30, and the main villain quickly raises to 85, and the limper folds. So, yeah, Jack, what are you, what are you thinking about here? Here... There's, there's a couple things I'm considering. Uh, one, it would be helpful to know exactly what uh, the villain's limping range looks like. So yeah, if we, if we thought he was limping hands like, you know, queen-jack, king-jack, king-queen, you know, in early position, then our strategy here is going to be a lot different. I think it's pretty safe to rule out kings, queens, and jacks for the most part. Maybe, you know one combo of jacks just to you know consider the possibility uh, but since it's so unlikely and we're already blocking a king and a queen we can pretty much discount that this player is a set which means that their raising range is going to be basically uh, straights and draws uh, and so against that range i definitely don't like raising so i think it's between a call and a fold uh, I think your backdoor diamonds and your position makes me prefer a call. Uh, although I'm not super excited to call here since I think, uh, you know, a villain like this is much more likely to raise you with all of their straights than they are with all of their draws. Um, but I think your your hand is strong enough and you have a chance to improve. So in position for this price, I would call and then evaluate on the turn. Yeah, it sounds good to me. And I think this would be a really difficult spot, I think, if we were out of position. But as Jack said, like, we either have a hand that's kind of crushing us, like, even though we do have some, you know, equity against it, a straight, or we have, you know, semi-bluffs, uh, which include, you know, nut heart, heart draws, combo draws, and maybe even some non-nut heart draws, like something with, uh, you know, jack of hearts, eight of hearts, something like that, jack of hearts, nine of hearts. Um, and I think... The listener who wrote in said that this player doesn't really bluff a lot, uh, but that, you know, definitely bluff, C-bet bluffs on the flop sometimes. And I think that, you know, knowing that, they're probably likely to to semi-bluff some percentage of their hands. There's some players that just never semi-bluff and never play draws aggressively. But given the fact that even though this is a a tighter, kind of more straightforward player, someone who C-bet bluffs is likely someone who has some percentage of... uh, some of my bluffs in their range. And I think being in position to be able to see their turn bet sizing, I think will be 
really helpful here. And of course, we could also, you know, hit a king, queen, or a diamond rolls off. And yeah, I think this is a spot where I, if the villain makes a huge bet on the turn, uh, it sounds really tight, but I might be able to comfortably fold just because uh, the player as described doesn't seem like someone who's just going to like rip it on the turn um, with a with a draw. I want to point out that against a lot of opponents, uh, I think you'll almost always have the best hand here. I think, you know, for one, for this player to have straights means that they are limping 10-9 and ace-10. And I think those are both hands that a lot of players, uh, myself included, I'm opening suited combos from earlier position, and I'm folding unsuited combos. So, you know, if if you're playing against a player like myself, and, you know, I raise you in this spot, which I might because I might think that some players are going to overfold and it makes semi-buffing profitable, then I would prefer a raise because the only hands I'm going to have are going to be low uh suit connectors if I decide to limp those, although I'm probably not limping a ton of those, but I might be limping some suited aces. And you're enough of an equity favorite against a suited ace uh, that if there's no, you know, strong hands in the range, then you should definitely bring it in for a raise. So in-game, here recalls the additional 55, and now the pot's about 220 about $300 behind. So the turn is a seven of clubs, for all intents and purposes, a blank. And the villain bets $200 into a $220 pot. So given some of our discussion on the flop, I probably prefer just jamming on this turn. And the reason is, you know, I think sometimes we are up against a straight, which sucks. Uh, But I think that most players' limping ranges are just going to include a lot more drawing hands and hands that maybe don't benefit from playing the way the hand was played, but would play that way anyway. You know, a hand like Jack Eight of Hearts, where I probably prefer just calling rather than raising, but those hands are likely to be raised anyways. So, yeah, I don't think you can just call. Uh, I mean, you could, and you'll be basically committed to put in that last $100 on the river. So since that's the case... I prefer just shoving and then, you know, maybe once in a blue moon, you know, villain folds like some weak heart draw, which w- would be a great outcome. Anyways, uh, I think against some players, you know, if you if you knew that their limping rates included all ace 10 and all 10 9 offsuit, you could potentially make this fold. But given that this player is a little bit tighter, you know, 40 year old corporate businessman, seems like the kind of player who would fold 10 9 offsuit. Uh, under the gun, and also might raise some ace-10. So yeah, I, I think it's just pretty safe to jam here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm still going with kind of my read on on the flop about this player. Um, just kind of going back to what the listener wrote in about this player is, you know, he is tighter than most of the other players and will not call raises as weakly as the rest of the table, but probably more weakly than optimal. Um, he's played with him six or seven times and have never seen him show a big bluff. Um, and he did add, although I'm sure he seabed bluffs the flop sometimes, I just think that this kind of giant pot size bet on the turn, leaving, you know, completely committing himself to the hand with only $100 behind, and he's had now, you know, 400 of the stack in, 
I just think is really weighted towards a straight. Uh, it's a complete blank on the turn. I think it's really conceivable that this player would limp all combos of ace-10 suited and 10-9 suited, probably folding the vast majority of um, you know their unsuited 9-10 um, and most of ace-10 offsuit. Um, but it's just... It's more about the sizing, I think, that makes me want to fold this turn. Yeah, I, I think that just really screams strength. And given the fact that this player has never seen this player show a big bluff over six or seven sessions, I think it makes it less likely that they will be semi-bluffing. And I, from you know personal experience, even the kind of minority of people that will semi-bluff on a coordinated board on the flop to like an appropriate degree are probably not semi-bluffing the turn to that same degree. Uh, and if they do do so, they don't do so with like the appropriate sizing. So they might like bet 100 or 120 on the turn. But 200 just seems really strong to me, and I, I think I'm pretty comfortable making an exploitative fold here. Yeah, thinking more about this hand, I definitely am not comfortable folding. A player who's going to be limping 10-9 and ace-10 is also going to be limping jack-10, queen-jack... Probably some king-jack, maybe some king-queen. Uh, but enough of that that I think we're up against some two-pair combos that we chop or beat. Uh, and I think that... I just think it's unlikely that this player doesn't have enough of a semi-bluffing range to make this a profitable chip. I think there's some. this player could be a player where if we really knew their strategy, this would be a fold. But I don't feel confident enough that I'm willing to fold here, especially since I think the version of this player's strategy that results in, you know, a lot of straights is also a version that would result in a fair amount of two pairs, which really uh, hugely weights it towards a call. Because not only, you know, when, when we're calling against draws, you know, we're not calling for the full pot. We're calling for, you know, two thirds of the pot. And when, you know, when they have a straight, we're calling for 10% of the pot or less. Um, but when you know, we're up against two pair, now we're calling for like 90, 95% of the pot. And that just will swing the equity in our favor so drastically that I think this has to just be a jam. Yeah. Again, and that's where kind of the sizing comes in. Like I, I think even if this player, like you said, if they're playing a strategy where they're limping a lot of nine, 10 suited combos and ace, 10 suited combos, of course, they're going to have a lot of queen, jack and king, jack suited combos, but we're blocking them. And I'm not confident that he's going to bet $200 on the turn with those combinations. Uh, I don't think that's particularly likely. And for what it's worth, I think if we're thinking that this player is semi bluffing a lot and we should be getting in on this turn, I think a far superior play is to just get in on the flop. So part of I think my reasoning for just calling the flop is to kind of see what this player does on the turn because it's we weren't sure but we think it's likely that this player um, isn't going to be semi-bluffing or bluffing with a high enough frequency and the turn sizing will allow us to do you know exploitative things like fold a really strong hand here um, and then I think this player beta sizing which is basically saying I have a really strong hand I'm not going to fold uh, and I think, based on the information that I have, I I feel confident making this exploder to fold. But I, I understand why, uh, Jack. You don't feel like we have enough information to make that make that play. I I definitely agree that the sizing, you know, I don't feel as good about 
jamming over the sizing as I would over, you know, 150. But, you know, one thing I, here's a couple things I'll point out. One, we know that this player bets aggressively when they think they're ahead. I think if this player had two pair, he would think he was ahead. Uh, part of it is because, you know, what you just said, you know, the fact that if, you know, we're feeling good about our hand now, we should have just, you know, made our move on the flop. I don't agree with that at all, actually, because against the same range on the flop and the turn, we now have a lot more equity because of the blank. Uh, you know, on the flop, we have a similar situation where some hands maybe we have crushed, some hands crush us, and some hands we're basically even equity with. Now we're in a situation where, let's admit, if they bet with the same range, we have the hands we crush, hands we're doing very well against, and then hands that have us crushed. So it's a very different situation to put all the money in on the turn after this card hits. But I don't know. I actually don't think our opponent is going to be thinking like that. I think our opponent is going to be thinking that if we had a hand like two pair plus, we would just ship it on the flop because I think that's what a lot of these players tend to do. Uh, so I think it's likely we're going to be getting this sizing from those hands. I also think this this is a little bit less scientific, but I think there's probably some players where there's not a huge difference between 150 and 200. You know, once you grab that second stack of reds, you're just going to grab the whole thing. And so I don't think many players are going to bet with 100. Or there are some players who would, would not bet with 100 with any of their range. So if we're deciding between the difference between 100 and 100 and, or 200 and 140, I think that difference is less severe in this pot just because of the sort of round number effect. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely comfortable with jamming, but I think given a little bit more information... I would I would also be comfortable folding, but not here. Okay. So in game, uh the villain uh the hero folds. Um and that was that. Uh for what it's worth, the listener wrote in saying that, you know, after the hand, um he told the the villain that he had two pair. Uh, and the villain said that he had him, but some people always tell the truth, some people basically always lie about the type of stuff and we don't we don't really know. Uh, which one it is, so I wouldn't hold much weight to that, but thought you guys might appreciate just hearing everything he wrote in. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for writing in with his hand. I think it spurred a really good discussion between me and Jack. I, th- You know, we usually have some, you know, we don't agree on everything, but I think it's, you know, somewhat rare that we, you know, have a major disagreement like this, which I think is probably good for, for you guys because it, it results in a, a better discussion. So, keep writing in hands like this so you know me and jack can argue with with each other for your benefit all right thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next week